Good morning. I'm Jerry Hetz. I've been attending Cross Point since 2007. Um, today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. Appeal to complete the collection. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonian. During the severe trial brought about a fl by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of, to the saints, and not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now, also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For, it, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you. But, if it, but it is a question of e equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equal, equality. As it is written, the person who, has, who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jerry. You got a surplus of scripture to read this morning. Uh, well, hello, I'm Eric. I used to be one of the pastors here at Cross Point, and uh, this is our first Sunday back since we have uh, been sent out almost, uh, well, about three and a half years ago now in uh, October of 2019 is when we started Redeemer Community Church over in Minunk, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to be back here uh, to give Dave some much-needed rest and, uh, uh, and just thankful that we get to, to get into God's Word together. And so I want to invite you uh, to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians if you haven't already. If you need a Bible, uh, there are some available back here at the Guest Connections. If you don't have a Bible, then grab that one and keep it. Take it home with you. One thing I know about this church family is that they are dependent on the Word. We've seen that already this morning through everything else that's taken place before this. And it is a joy for them to freely give that Word uh, to you because that is how we live. We live by the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you, grab that. If you have one of those Bibles from Guest Connections, you can turn to page 1027, okay? That'll get you there. Uh, and then if you, are, uh, if you have your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on, but it's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. As you turn there, I want to give just a little bit of context since we're jumping into the middle of this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Paul preached the gospel in Corinth. 
and he planted a church there when, uh, when, during one of his missionary journeys, which you can read about in Acts chapter 18. But over the course of time, Paul's, Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church, it got a little bit rocky. It, it was complicated by some tension and some conflict. You see, the, the Corinthians were attracted to people and things that, that sort of elevated their own status. And so they began to discredit Paul because he, they viewed him as this poor and weak man who suffered all the time needlessly in their minds, and, and, and he wasn't that great of a speaker. And so they started rebelling against his authority and, and started following what we might call the Instagram influencers of their day, okay? These so-called super apostles who were way more important, way more impressive to the Corinthians than Paul was. But the problem was that these so-called influencers, these super apostles, they were false teachers who, who used their influence and their authority to lead the Corinthians astray and, and exploit them for money. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to defend his God-given credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ to remind the Corinthians of his enduring love for them. Yeah, their relationship was rocky, but he wasn't leaving. He wasn't going anywhere. And then he wrote it to point them back to gospel-centered living. And so in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's going to urge the Corinthians to prove their own dependence upon God's grace and their love for God's people. And so as we work our way through this passage this morning, we're going to find that this is not just a test that Paul is giving to the Corinthians. It's actually a test for us as followers of Christ as well. And so since this is God's word and I am uh, uh, in need of God's help to preach this faithfully, I want to pray and then we'll dig in together. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good and you do what is good. We pray that you would teach us your statutes this morning. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth knowing that, as Jesus said, your word is truth. Lord, take us yet again to your son, back to the cross where he died in our place and to the tomb where he rose to give us life. Do this in the power of your spirit, together as your church. We pray this for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'm going to talk to you this morning about money, okay? But... Before you start getting suspicious of me, I want you to know that I'm not here to ask you for money, nor did I, I plan it that, that Stephen would come up and give you that uh, 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 announcement that you guys are going to come over and help us at Redeemer, okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I promise, all right? What I want to do is I want to help us consider how money actually relates to uh, and serves the gospel, especially in regard to church planting, since that's the series that, that you guys are in right now. Now, this relationship between money and the gospel can often feel as complicated as Paul's relationship to the Corinthian church, right? Full of tension, full of, of, of conflict, and some of that tension is, is fueled by the misquoting of certain scripture passages like 1 Timothy 6.10, which does not say that money is the root of all evil, but actually says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving money, some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, money itself is not a bad thing, but it's often a taboo topic in the church, and, 
I want, I, I want you to know this too. Dave didn't put me up to this passage either, okay? <laughs> he said, preach what you want, and I said, okay. It's often a taboo topic in the church because it feels like any emphasis that we put on onto money somehow cheapens the gospel, almost like we're attaching the gospel to the money itself, and that's not the case. Paul's going to remove this stigma for us this morning and help us see that our relationship with money is never separate from our relationship with the gospel. In fact, through his challenge to the Corinthians, he's going to show us that the way we treat money is actually directly proportional to the way we view the gospel. So here's the main point. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. If not, you can ask me later. A church that is living richly in gospel promises is a church that is giving generously for gospel purposes. A church that is living richly in gospel promises is a church that is giving generously for gospel purposes. This is what Paul's going to show us in this passage this morning. His primary purpose as a missionary uh, on his missionary journeys was to preach the gospel and to plant and strengthen these Gentile churches through that preaching of the gospel. But he also put significant effort toward taking up a collection from those churches to send back to the church in Jerusalem in order to ease some of the the financial hardships that that church was facing, those Jewish Christians were facing there. And this is why I'm not here to ask you for money because it would be out of context of this passage. It's actually the church plants that are turning and supporting the sending church. Now, unfortunately, I'm also not here to give you money, okay? (laughs) At least not this time. At least not this time. But there are some principles about giving here that I think that we can all learn from. Why? Because this is God's word. And it teaches us, trains us for life and godliness, right? The Corinthian church plant had promised to contribute to the need in Jerusalem, but they had not yet followed through on that promise. And so Paul starts this section by reminding them of some of the other church plants that were eager to give. So let's jump in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the first six verses. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. And so we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they were not only facing a severe famine during that time in their region, the region of Judea. They were also excluded from the Jewish community for following Christ. They were, they were being taxed twice by the Jews and by the Romans, and as the very first Christian church established, they were responsible for sending out a lot of the missionaries that went to these other places to plant churches, and they, they supported them. So they were, they were strapped financially. All of these things piling up on them made it difficult. And here Paul says that even in spite of their own hardships, These Macedonian church plants were eager to give 
what they could to help ease the hardships that their brothers and sisters in Christ were facing in Jerusalem. Now, let's not miss this point right here, okay? These are Gentile churches eagerly helping Jewish, their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a beautiful picture of the new covenant unity as one body of Christ. Yes, there's local representations of that, but one body of Christ, one church, and these, these Gentiles are eager to serve their brothers and sisters who are Jewish. The Philippians, the Bereans, the Thessalonians, these were some of the church plants in Macedonia. That was the region. Paul was most likely staying actually in Philippi when he wrote these words to the Corinthians. And notice how he described the generosity that came from those churches. Did you catch that? He called it the grace of God. Now, normally it's the missionary that's the one begging the churches for support, right? But here it's actually the churches that are begging to give. Is that not grace? Even though they were experiencing affliction themselves, the Macedonian church plants considered it a privilege a privilege to be able to contribute to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Churches only think that way when they're convinced that God is God and money is not. Verse 4, that word privilege in the Greek is the same word that gets translated as the word grace in other parts of this passage. When Paul says, I want you to know about the grace of God, same word right there. The Macedonian churches understood that God was graciously giving them the opportunity to serve their brothers and sisters in Christ, and that by doing so, they would actually be serving Christ himself. Now, is it not a privilege to serve our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not a privilege to serve Jesus? Instead of excusing themselves from the opportunity by appealing to their own need for God's provision, they saw the opportunity in front of them as God's gracious provision. And they, saw, and they considered it then a privilege, a grace that they couldn't afford to walk away from. And so they eagerly gave what they could financially. And then they went beyond their means, uh, financial means at least, and offered anything else that they had that would help the Jewish uh, Christians in Jerusalem. Paul was encouraging these wealthy Corinthians to follow the example of the poor Macedonians. But even though they were a great example to follow, there was still an even better example. And so Paul appealed then to the gospel and to the example of Jesus himself. Let's look at verse 7 through 9. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. <clears throat> I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we can see that the church didn't lack anything in the realm of spiritual gifts. They excelled in those. And here Paul was essentially telling them, look, you excel in, in everything else that God has given to you, and now I want you to, to see this opportunity uh, to give as another gift from God, something else God is giving to you, and I want you to excel in that too. As a Christ-commissioned apostle, Paul actually had the authority to command them to give, 
But let's think about the relationship for a minute. He had just reconciled with them after they had disregarded his authority in favor of these super apostles who exploited them for money. And so he chose the gentler route. And after proving the genuineness of his love for them earlier in the letter, he used this opportunity then as a test of their own genuineness. If they were willing to give generously, it would show that they were actually willing then to identify with their weak brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, to identify with their weak brother Paul, to identify with Christ himself who came in weakness. If they chose not to give at all or to give begrudgingly, then they would identify with those so-called super apostles who really were only concerned about themselves. And then Paul tied the grace of giving to the grace of the giver, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul framed the gospel in financial language in order to help the Corinthians connect their relationship with money to their relationship with Christ and to remind them of what grace really looks like. At Redeemer in Menunk, our mission is to, to bring glory to Jesus by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel with the realities of their life. Paul's doing that right here. He's using language that ties the, the context of life that they're in with the context of the gospel truths that, that, that uh, uh, teach them in that moment. Let's run through it. Though Jesus was rich, Jesus is, is God, right? And as God, he is without need. He's fully sufficient in and of himself. And from him and through him and to him are all things. Nothing exists apart from his creating and sustaining power, and there is no place anywhere that his glory does not prevail. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. You heard it already this morning. Uh, Joel quoted from Philippians, which is actually where Paul is right now. Even though he is God, Jesus didn't consider that something to be exploited. Instead, he humbled himself. He became a servant by, by coming into this world as a human being. And when he had come as a man, this God in the flesh became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So that by his poverty, we might become rich. You see, our sin has bankrupted us spiritually by sending us spiraling further and further into a debt that we could never repay no matter how hard we try. We owed God a perfect life of obedience, and the very first time we sinned against him, we failed to do that. What we gave him instead is a life of rebellion. We owed God a death for that rebellion, but we had no perfect sacrifice to give that would cover all of the wrong that we have done. There's nothing in our account. And so Jesus came. In fact, he came willingly, but the Father sent him willingly. The God that we owed came to us. And he lived this perfect life that we should have lived, but it was a life of poverty. It was a life of suffering. It was a life of hardship. It was a life that, that literally led to his death. And in his abundant grace, he took our abundant sin debt upon himself when he died on the cross in our place to pay our debt in full. We sang that this morning. 
praise the one who paid my debt, right? Raise this life up from the dead. He, he purchased our full and final forgiveness. He rose on the third day to prove that that debt payment was enough. It was sufficient. It was, it was the, the exact amount that we needed. And it permanently erased our debt of sin. He came to reconcile us to God the Father forever and then to lavish us with every spiritual blessing in himself and the, 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 the immeasurable riches of his grace for all eternity. We all had tremendous need and Jesus Christ willingly and eagerly provided for us what we could not. Is that not grace? This was true for the Corinthian believers. It's true for everyone who's come to depend on Jesus to remove their debt of sin. And I want to ask you this morning, is that true for you? If you're not a, a follower of Christ, it's, it's really especially important for you to understand that I didn't come here to ask you for money this morning. I came here to give you Jesus. We all need this Christ we all need this one who is the only one who can reconcile our debt with the Father. Money may be the main context of this passage, but if you've been coming to Crosspoint for any amount of time, you've probably figured this out by now. Jesus is the central figure of all of Scripture. He's the main point here. He's the only one who can provide for your deepest need and settle your account with God. He's the only one who can provide for your every need. And he actually knows what you need better than you or I do. When we look to people and things in this world to give us what only Jesus can give us, we only withdraw from account that's already empty. We only put ourselves further into sin debt. So why not then just turn that sin debt over to Jesus and put your trust in him this morning? Why not follow him and, and experience the immeasurable riches of his grace forever? Confess your need to be reconciled to God and trust that Jesus has paid it all, right? <coughs> paid our debt in full. We wouldn't know what giving uh, truly is apart from Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate giver and the very definition of what it means to, to meet the needs of another. And Paul tells the, the Corinthians that there is gospel fruit in providing for one another's needs. Let's keep going. Verse 10 through 15. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there is an eager, was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. When we eagerly give to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in another church, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. Why? Because it's a tangible display of the gospel realities and a practical help to the body of Christ. We need to remember we're helping our own body, right? But Paul was stressing here that it's the eagerness to give that pleases God, not the amount given. 
right? One dollar given uh, eagerly is more acceptable to God than a million dollars given begrudgingly. It's not the amount. It's the attitude in our giving. Paul wasn't pressuring the Corinthians to give beyond their means. He was simply encouraging them to keep the promise that they already made and to do it joyfully based on what God had already provided for them. This is helpful instruction for us, right? Because sometimes we're tempted to either feel ashamed if we're, and I don't even, like we put this word on, right? Only able to give a small amount or, to, or, or we're also prone to take credit if we're able to give a large amount. But when we give in proportion to what God has given us and we give eagerly, God gets the glory and we get profit, gospel profit by growing in Christ's likeness together. We're reflecting the one who has rescued us. Paul made it clear here that it's not about everybody having the exact same amount, but it's, it's about gospel-centered love for one another and making sure that no need goes unmet, no matter how big or small it is. Verse 15 is a quote from Exodus 16, verse 8. It's referencing the time when God provided manna for the people of Israel in the wilderness. Some of them had larger families and they needed more food. They needed more of the manna. Others had smaller families and they needed less of it, but everybody had exactly what they needed. No need was unmet, and God was the one that provided for all of them. Okay, so this is all great, right? But, but, but maybe you're thinking right now, okay, well, but how, how can I be sure that the money that, that I give to meet the need won't actually be used for something else? That's a, that's a valid question. The Corinthians had seen how the super apostles exploited them for money, and, and we are not unfamiliar in our day and age with celebrity pastors who squander the church's finances or with TV or YouTube evangelists and preachers who promise a, a false gospel of health and wealth and prosperity and encourage you to give them your money so that they can pad their pockets. That gospel is only for them. It's not for us. Cuts Jesus out of the equation. Well, good news for us. Paul addresses this issue in the next section. Look at verse 16, and we'll go through the end of chapter 8. Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you in the heart of Titus, for he welcomed our appeal, being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. We have sent with him the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we're giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We've also sent with them our brother. We've often, we've often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent. And now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. Paul and Titus and two other unnamed brothers in the Lord were going to be personally responsible for getting this money back to Jerusalem. And they'd be responsible not only for handling the gift 
from the Corinthians, but from some of the other churches as well. Paul tells us this is a, this is a large sum. This is a big amount, right, that they're responsible for. But, but did you see how he described them? These are all men who had been tested and trusted in the churches. They were praised not for their status, not for their popularity, not for their influence in the culture, but for their faithfulness to preach the gospel. They were grounded by their own dependence upon Jesus and driven by their desire to glorify God in everything they did. And because of that, they gave careful thought to do what was right. And they were diligent. They worked hard to take precautions and handle the collection with integrity so that no one could mistake them for these super apostles in their greed. Again, this is helpful for us, right? Gospel-centered giving does not have to come at the expense of personal accountability. And personal accountability doesn't just automatically insert skepticism into the equation. It doesn't cheapen gospel-centered giving. These two things are not enemies. They're not forces that oppose each other. They work in tandem because both of them aim to glorify God in the things that God has provided for his people. Money should always serve to advance the gospel that should never be flipped the other way around. Giving uh, careful thought to do what is right is an exercise in wisdom, and the church that gives generously for gospel purposes is wise to put that gift into the hands of tested and trusted people who are living richly in the gospel promises, who are grounded in their dependence upon Christ and driven by their desire to administrate that gracious gift for the glory of the Lord himself. So after proving to the Corinthians that those who administrate the gift were accountable, then he urged the Corinthians to be accountable themselves and to cheerfully give the gift that they promised. Now we're into chapter 9. Look at the first nine verses with me, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you. For I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to mention we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, or ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift that you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Corinth was uh, in the province of Achaia, like Philippi was in the province of Macedonia. And here Paul essentially told the Corinthians, hey, you remember the example I just gave you about the Macedonian churches and how they were eager to give? Well, I want you to know that, that you were also an example for them. I'm here with them right now, and I told them about your eagerness to give last year. 
And their eagerness then was fueled by your eagerness. I, I told them about this promise and it stirred up most of them then to give generously of their own accord. But right, we know this, this, the obvious dilemma that's still here. It's that the Macedonians had followed through on their desire while the Corinthians had not. And it would be incredibly embarrassing if the only thing that the Corinthians contributed was an empty promise. Not only would it put them to shame as a church and Paul and the brothers to shame as administrators of the gift, but it would also be a poor reflection of the gospel. Now, Paul's words here in verse 5 are important. They reveal his concern for preserving the integrity of the gospel over preserving his own self-image. He wasn't ultimately sending the brothers to arrange the gift in advance in order to save face with the Macedonians, to make sure he looked good for them. He was giving the Corinthians another opportunity to fulfill their promise as an act of grace rather than an act of coercion. He wanted them to have the, the joy of giving the gift willingly instead of being forced to give out of guilt. You know that feeling that you get when you go to pay at the checkout at the grocery store and the debit card reader pops up a, a screen prompt that says, would you like to donate an extra dollar to help homeless animals or do you hate puppies? <laughs> right? It doesn't actually say that, but, but it's, it's hard not to feel manipulated in that moment, right? Like you came to get food for your family, not to fact check a charity and make a decision as to whether or not you're able to support it while you're entering your PIN number. It's catching you unprepared and it's compelling you to give and it's easy to feel guilty if you decline. Now, I want you to know there are good charities out there. Donate that dollar if you know what you're giving to. Okay, that's up to you and the Lord. My point is that this, in this instance, this was not some, some quick decision that the Corinthians hadn't thought about and were forced to make. It was something that they themselves had willingly promised to do a, an entire year before this. And instead of manipulating them with guilt like the super apostles did, Paul was careful. He was careful to remind them that, hey, guys, this is a, this opportunity this is a gracious gift from God, and our God will not fail to meet your needs according to his grace as you willingly and graciously give to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ over here in, in Jerusalem. Paul gave them another important principle in verse 6. He said, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. But the principle is more about attitude, again, than amount. Notice what, what Paul's language is in verse 7. He's encouraging them to give cheerfully, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. He never puts a dollar sign in front of that. A cheerful giver is someone who finds his contentment in Christ. And from that heart of contentment, that person is then able to decide how much he's able to cheerfully give to support Christ's body, to support the church. A cheerful giver is someone who trusts that God is able to make every grace overflow and sees cheerful giving as a good work that God has graciously prepared in advance that they should walk in it. In verse 9, Paul quoted Psalm 112, verse 9. And at first glance, it might seem like those words from that psalm are describing God. But if you go to that psalm, you'll see that it's a description of a righteous man. 
And Paul quoted that line to remind the Corinthians that, that generous giving is actually one of the ordinary marks of a Christ follower. He wasn't just encouraging the Corinthians to give. He was reminding them that they are givers. Why? Because they are united to Christ himself, who is the ultimate righteous one and the ultimate giver. The same is true for us as believers. Jesus doesn't just call us to give. He makes us givers who reflect his grace and his character in the giving. Generous giving is one of the ordinary marks that I've seen here at Crosspoint over the past 20 years. It's, it's something that I've had the joyful privilege of participating in during my time here. It's something that I've had the incredibly humbling privilege of being a recipient of multiple times as a church planter sent out by this church. I want you to know that you have eagerly and cheerfully given time and again to meet the various needs of my family, and our church family at Redeemer. We have never felt alone because of God's grace through this church, and not just through this church, but through several other churches in this area. And we thank God. We thank God for the outpouring of love and generosity that he has shown to us through you. And this is how Paul wraps up this section of his letter to the Corinthians by, by directing all of this back to God himself. So let's finish it up, verse 10 through 15, chapter 9. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry... They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and, every, and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In verse 6, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to sow generously. Here he told them why they would be able to do that. It's because the God, it's God who provides the seed for sowing, right? It's God who provides everything, and he provides in abundance, right? He is the Lord of the harvest, after all, is he not? Notice, though, that God provides the seed for sowing and not for hoarding. Paul told the Corinthians that they would be enriched in every way. Why? So that they could give generously in every way. But he wasn't promising that if they gave financially that God would necessarily reward them financially. Instead, he pointed to the greater gift that they would share in, a harvest of righteousness, thanksgiving and glory to God, prayer on their behalf, and a deep affection for them because of the surpassing grace of God in them. These are eternal rewards that are worth immeasurably more than any amount of money that passed through the Corinthians' hands. And once again, Paul tied everything back to the gospel. By fulfilling their promise to give, the Corinthians would be making an obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because God, the Father, promised to send his son 
to pay our debt. And he kept that promise. It wasn't empty. By keeping their promise to give, the Corinthians would be displaying their trust in the Father who has provided for their every need and modeling his generous character to their brothers and sisters in Christ, bolstering then their own, the, 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 current, the, uh, the believers in Jerusalem, their own trust in the Father to meet their need. You see, the gospel is not only preached with words of gracious truth, it's also lived with deeds of gracious love. As a church plant that had received the gospel through Paul's preaching, the Corinthians had been given the gracious opportunity to live out then that gospel in a way that would provide both relief and encouragement to their fellow believers in Jerusalem. In keeping their promise, the Corinthians were not merely be providing financial support, they would also be providing gospel support. Crosspoint, the harvest is abundant. It is abundant. God has promised in his word that the ministry of the gospel will transform hearts and bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. But God has not promised that the ministry of that gospel will always be easy for his church. Those who minister the gospel to others will at times have practical needs as they do so. That's true for church plants. That's also true for sending churches. Financial support's not a necessary evil that we have to deal with in those times. It's not the unavoidable business aspect of church planting. It's ministry to the saints in the gospel and in the gospel purpose. It's an act of grace that we have the privilege of participating in for the sake of the gospel and the glory of the Lord himself. A church that is living richly in the gospel promises is a church that is giving generously for gospel purposes. God intends that to be a regular way of life for his church and for every individual believer in it. I want to, to encourage you this morning. I see this in this church, and I want to encourage you this morning to keep living richly in the grace of God's gospel promises and keep giving generously as an act of grace for God's gospel purposes. As long as there is need for the gospel, and there is great need, isn't there? There will always be need to support the ministry of it. Next week, you get the joy of having John Bricker here from Karis Church in Normal, and he's moving to Metamora and planting a, a, a church there later this year. Imagine the encouragement that he would feel if you as a church begged him earnestly for the joy of sharing in the ministry to the saints there as they earnestly shared the gospel in that community. I can imagine it because I'm sure that you probably already have a plan in place for that. And the things that I've heard from this ministry month already bring my heart joy. This passage began with the grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia and it ended with the surpassing grace of God in the church at Corinth. That same grace has come to you and to me, to Crosspoint and to Redeemer and all these other churches that are, are dependent upon God's word and, and confident in the gospel. So may we continue to see the giving opportunities then that God provides us as an act of grace 
And may we continue to be eager to give as an obedient confession of this gospel that we hold so dearly, all for the glory of the Lord himself, and that we might together declare thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the gift that you've given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We confess our need and we also confess that we are unworthy of everything that you've provided to us in him. We pray, Lord, that as you transform us more and more into his image by your spirit and your word together as your church, that we would continue to live richly in the promises of the gospel and give generously for the purposes of the gospel, trusting in the God who is the provider of the seed that it might be sown, and that more people would come to know this incredible Christ. We pray this in his name for his glory. Amen. Love you, church. Go ahead and move into a time of communion here next. Uh, so if our first impressions and connections team would um, begin passing the, the plates, I'm going to read to you, um, and then we'll follow it with a time of prayer. I'm going to read from... Our biblical conviction statement on our website um, is a little bit about communion as we gather here this morning. So in obedience to Christ's teaching, we recognize and practice the Lord's Supper as a lasting command given to his church so we remember the sacrifice Jesus Christ made for mankind, express our fellowship with God and one another, proclaim to the world our identification with him, and practice unity within our local church family. We believe the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ on the night of his betrayal and is to be observed by his church until he returns. The Lord's Supper consists of partaking of the bread of the fruit of the vine, symbolizing the broken body and shed blood of Christ for the remission of our sins and reaffirms our continual dependence upon him. Its observation is to be preceded by honest self-examination. Communion shall be open to all who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so First Christians team can come forward. Uh, we'll enter in a time of prayer. And then we'll take of the elements together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you collectively this morning. God, you've given us new life through your son, Jesus Christ. And so may we be um, givers, not out of compulsion, but out of what we've been freely given by you. God, we need you. We are dependent on you. And we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Philippians 2 as we close here this morning. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy in being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. God has made you guys not just to give by compulsion, but as Eric said, part of your identity is as a giver. So go forth today, um, reminded, reminded of that, loving one another and professing Christ to those around us. Meet someone new, pray for someone this morning as you guys linger and spend time together. You are dismissed.